This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello friends and welcome to another not quite lock-in, use your own discretion and stay alert, on the Hop Forward podcast. As somebody that works in the beer industry, albeit these days on a branding and marketing side, I spend an inordinate amount of time looking at photos of cool crisp beers on Instagram, designing labels for brewers, helping beer businesses work through their sales and marketing strategies, and occasionally these days with my own brand Emmanuel's brew beers myself. Usually after I've shoehorned the kids into bed, I'm ready for a few beers and by the weekend, it's definitely time to crack open the Imperial Stouts and Triple Fruited Gozers. This routine of having a beer or two on a weeknight started when I was working in a commercial 10 barrel brewery. You'd sample stuff from tanks and the packaging line for quality assurance purposes and that isn't in adverted commas. You'd draw beer off the bar to ensure casks were on point and kegs weren't fobbing too much and you'd sample them. And guaranteed, at the end of a brewing shift, I'd crack open a thirst-quenching IPA or a lager just to round off the day's effort. Throughout the course of last year, I promised myself I would drink less. I'll do Stoptober or November, neither of which ever really transpired. The inner monologue would always go something like this. Well, such and such is visiting Sheffield in October, so I don't want to do it then because I want to hang out with them. And it's Smokefest in November, which I really want to go to, and then it's Christmas, which would be impossible. And drinking less or having some downtime from drinking gets put off time and time again. Maniore, maniore, tomorrow, tomorrow. Then I heard about Pete Brown's annual rhythm of having a dry January, whereas many brewers and beer professionals actively promote triannuary a month of trying different beers to help promote and engage consumers throughout the most difficult trading month of the year i thought i'd take a leaf out of pete brown's book this year and exchange the big hitters for low to no abv beers such as big drop brewing co and brew dogs range of low alcohol beers as i embraced this short season it forced me to reflect on my own beer consumption do i have a problem As a side note, my mother-in-law once suggested that I had a problem because I asked whether I could get an additional beer from their fridge, which would have been my third, on New Year's Eve. Okay, so it's all relative to an extent. Um, But, you know, I'd ask these questions like, do I have mastery over this or is it in control of me? Why do I think about it so much? Is, Is the main reason because I love the science and art of brewing and pub culture and the camaraderie in the beer industry? Or is it mainly because of the intoxicating effects of beer? If we're all honest, these are probably questions we've wrestled with behind closed doors from time to time. Where do you draw the line? when it comes to moderation in beer consumption. The truth is, nobody likes to talk about alcoholism. The word alcoholic evokes powerful images of red-faced people unable to keep their lust for liquor in check. 
And while we may not have the shakes or be slumped in a doorway somewhere, unable to speak coherently with a bottle of white lightning in hand, there are many functional alcoholics in everyday society and the workplace. So how does being around and working in beer and hospitality work when it comes to self-discipline and moderating your consumption? What's an appropriate level of weekly alcohol intake? Obviously, there are official medical guidelines issued, which you will find on Package Beer and if you're in the UK at drinkaware.co.uk. But also, without living in a totalitarian state, uh, questions like this are up to each individual to answer for themselves. But problems often arise when we're not truly honest with ourselves and with others. And that is the question we should be asking Am I lying to myself or have I got this under wraps and under control? I'm not suggesting for one moment we should do this or do that or be like this or there should be one ring to rule them all. See what I did there. Um, but I definitely think we should be honest with ourselves and take the necessary steps, whatever they are for you, to ensure we're living healthy, wholesome lives that benefit ourselves and those around us. Finally, I wanted to say that if you're genuinely struggling with this issue, get help. The Drinks Trust, formerly known as The Benevolent, is a registered charity that serves the hospitality industry that provides individuals with services across vocational, well-being, financial and practical support. Uh, these services are intended to assist with and improve the circumstances of those who receive them. Uh, this includes sleep and insomnia, mental health and therapy, mindful drinking and lots of other issues facing drinks professionals. Now, to be transparent, the Drinks Trust have endorsed this little shout out i'm simply pointing people in the right direction as i'm always surprised at the amount of people who haven't heard of the charity uh, if you want to speak to someone or find out more i would highly recommend you visit drinkstrust.org.uk for more information and while we're on the subject of mindful drinking and highlighting breweries and organizations it's time for this week's Okay, for this week's brewery shout-outs, I wanted to highlight two breweries who I believe are brewing some of the best low ABV beers around. The first up is Big Drop Brewing Co, who were one of our first guests on the Hop4 podcast back in November 2018. Founded in 2016, Big Drop was the world's first company to focus entirely on brewing alcohol-free craft beer. It's all 0.5% ABV and they are now selling over 1 million bottles annually worldwide. Big Drop so far has picked up 26 international beer awards, including twice being judged the world's best at the World Beer Awards, winning gold at the US Open Beer Championship and the Holy Grail of Non-Alcoholic Drink, winning medals against full-strength rivals in blind tastings. The core range at Lager, Stout, IPA and Pale Ale are now available in 330ml cans as well as bottles, but they are also about to launch on the 1st of June two summer specials in 440ml cans, Poolside Double Dry Hopped IPA and Kamada IPA, which just look absolutely cracking, if you ask me. Uh, check out their website, bigdropbrew.com, for more info, or you can go straight to their web store by visiting shop.bigdropbrew.com, where our listeners can enjoy Enjoy an exclusive 10% discount by using the code HOPFORWARD10. That's HOPFORWARD with a capital H and a capital F and the number 10, HOPFORWARD10. 
And secondly, I'm going to let Becky from London's Nirvana Brewery tell you in their own words all about their low ABV beers and how you can get hold of them and support their brewery. Hi, I'm Becky Keane from Nirvana Brewery. You're listening to the Hop Forward podcast. Nirvana is based in East London and we are unique for a brewery in that all of our beers are 0.5% alcohol or less. We were one of the very first breweries in the UK to dedicate ourselves entirely to alcohol-free. We started back in 2016 and we are still today the only alcohol-free brand to have our own brewery. We love making alcohol-free simply because we all have a passion for proper craft beer and whether it contains alcohol or not, we think everyone should be able to enjoy a good pint. We produce all the classic styles from Hobby Pale Ale or IPA to our stout and always refreshing Hell's Lager. As I say, all of our beers are 0.5% or less. And you can get them at our web shop, it's nirvanabrewery.com. And if you use the code HOPFORWARD, you can get 10% off our packs of Hell's Lager, which is absolutely delicious, if not essential, on a hot summer's day. Check it out at nirvanabrewery.com. Cheers, and we at Nirvana hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, so while you're enjoying those low alcohol beers, you can help me out by doing the following two things. Firstly, like you... I've had to adapt my business model recently due to COVID-19 and I need some help to figure out where your needs are when it comes to branding, marketing and business development so I can offer the best services to brewers and beer professionals like you. Therefore, if you could head over to bit.ly, which is bit.ly forward slash hop questions and hop questions is in capitals so that's bit.ly forward slash hop questions in capitals um, and answer a short questionnaire it should take you a couple of minutes and it would really 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 help me out massive thank you for everyone who's done that so far the answers have been really really insightful i might even share some of those insights on the podcast because uh, they're, they're quite telling in a lot of ways so that's bit.ly forward slash hop questions uh, the second thing you can do as ever is to follow us on the socials if you don't already at hot forward beers sign up to our mailing list at hotforward.beer and join our growing facebook group if you just search for hot forward getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business then you will find our group and you can join in the discussions and chat there I'd love to chat with you and connect with you and find out more about your beer business and see if there's any way I can help you during this time or just say hello. I'd love to know who is out there listening. Right, this week's episode features a conversation I had back in January with Mike Souza, former brewer of John Harvard's Brewhouse in Framingham, Massachusetts, USA, who very kindly offered to take part in the podcast, being open and honest about his own drinking, that it might benefit others out there in the industry. I recorded this back in January when I was doing dry January myself and wrestling with all these questions. And I really hope you find this insightful and helpful and challenging and and it forces you to ask the questions that I've been asking that we might live more wholesome, better lives and adopt more mindful drinking. So thanks for tuning in. Let's crack open today's interview with Mike Sosa former brewer of John Harvard's Brewhouse. Today on the Hotball Podcast, I'm joined by Mike Souza, who's the head brewer at John Harvard's in Framingham, Massachusetts, USA. How's it going? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. So yeah, um, can you give us a bit of background about who you are and your involvement in the brewing industry? Uh, yeah, so I've been brewing for uh just a little over seven years now 
Um, I've run everything from the pub that I'm at now all the way up to uh, production scale breweries. Um, and that's uh, I've been doing it for as long as I have been able to legally. Uh, I started brewing when I was 21. Right. Uh, I haven't looked back. Amazing. So what, what kind of beer styles do you like to produce the most? Have you got like a favorite style? Uh, my heart kind of lies with uh, Zwickle beer. Uh, young lagers, um, that's kind of where my, my heart lies. But being in New England, we have to do the the hazy, hoppy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I, I love doing all styles. But really, the, the lagers are where my heart is uh, kind of called to. That's interesting because I've talked to a few brewers from the States recently and you know they, they all say how much they enjoy drinking and brewing, brewing lagers whereas over here it's just kind of like meh lager meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean as our listeners will know to the hot four podcast we we cover quite a, a diverse range of topics everything from uh running a, a beer business and and branding and all, all the things that brewers face but one of the topics that i want to really dig into um a rather sobering topic that often gets swept under the rug in the brewing and hospitality industry is the problem of alcoholism but before we dive deep into the issues with some broader questions can you give us a bit of your background and experiences with drinking mike uh sure so you know when i started out as a a young apprentice uh i really i didn't really drink that much um i would have maybe a beer or two every day and that's not like you know, when you go to the doctor and you tell me you have a beer or two, but you're really having four or five, it was maybe one after shift and one when I got home. And mm. then uh, that was basically it. Um, a lot of it ties into, for me at least, mental health. Um, and it kind of ramps up on you, I think, that the, the drinking just kind of starts hitting you slowly more mm. and more, um, you know, as you're in the industry longer. It's that's what we do as brewers. That's how we socialize with other brewers. That's how we make connections. That's how we network. You go out and you have a beer and then you say, well, I've already had one, so I might as well have one more. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you get to the point where you're having four or five beers at the end of your shift on top of pulling cans off the canning line and having a couple of those throughout the day. Mm. Um, so that's that's really how it kind of started for me it's all very innocent and then one day you stop and you look and you say okay well i've been home from work for two hours and i've already had three beers it just uh it catches you by surprise i think and that's how it caught me yeah so i mean has it ever got to a point where it's affected your ability to work or uh yes a few years back i was uh very bad um, I would say at least one or two days a week I was going in, if not severely hungover, then still a little bit intoxicated from the night before. Mm. Um, and I, I put the kibosh on that and I've been pretty good at, you know, keeping it down, yeah. um, you know, keeping it in control. What, what was the point then for you where it kind of like the turning point where it kind of hit you where you're like, I've actually, you know, I've got to stop doing this now. Um, just 
I felt bad every day. Right. <laughs> you know, every morning I, I was waking up and I was just absolutely haggard and I couldn't think, you know, not even like I couldn't think straight. I just couldn't think. I couldn't form a thought. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't really eating. I didn't have any money left because I was going out all the time. Mm. Um, and my my work was suffering as well. Uh, I take a great deal of pride in the, the work that I'm doing. Um, and I want it to be the best possible work that I can put out. And when something starts to get in the way of that, uh, that's when I have to start cutting it back. Yeah. So how, how much of a problem do you think this is in the beer and hospitality industry? I think it's huge. Um, honestly, I, uh, again, like I said, the, the last place that I was uh, running um, it was a production brewery and we would can uh, once a week. We had a mobile canning company come in and they were canning all of our beers for us. Um, and I remember one day it was probably 7.30 in the morning. I had just started my runoff um, and we were canning two double IPAs and a triple IPA. And one of my uh, seller guys had already had two beers at this point. Well, off the Off the line? off the line 7 30 in the morning and the first the, the first beer that we were canning was 10 percent. yeah I was and he'd already had two they're pretty big beers to be uh drinking at that time in the morning yep or any well, uh, time of day <laughs> right especially when you still have a full you know 10 hours left in the shift mm. um and i had had one and like everyone else you know the 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 operations manager had had one uh, my assistant brewer had had one, I had had one, and I finally said, this is kind of insane that we're doing this to ourselves. Um, and I think that's just sort of uh, pretty pretty much standard across the industry. I don't think anyone goes into this with the intention of getting blackout drunk every day, but it winds up happening to the best of us. I think it's curious, isn't it, how in, in any other industry, in any other job, you'd, you'd get fired for drinking on the job. Yeah, obviously, right. you know, in, in beer production, it's kind of like, it, it's just kind of par for course so often. And so, some of it's like, um, you know, like if you work in a pub, like cleaning lines and then pulling it through and making sure that the beers are in good condition and all that sort of stuff. Um or you know if you're if you're selling beer you know you want to make sure that it's it, you know it's at the point where you want to package it and you're testing it stuff and you know I, i've started to hear of some brewers that will you know will, will spit it out um rather than drink it but then on the other hand i've heard that you don't get the full it's not like wine where you get all the the taste and stuff in your mouth and then you spit it out because with beer you have to swallow it for to um get that full flavor sensation i mean if if you're working in a brewery and you need to be doing your um, or in a in a pub or tap room wherever, and you need to be doing your quality control, like what's the best way of doing that without just kind of like smashing back the beers? Because again, in a tap room, it's like oh well, we we've got six new beers on today. Oh well, better better try them so that you know I, I'm well placed to advise the customers when they come in, and you can have had several pints you know before you even open. And that happens. I mean, I see it happen all the time. Um, I, 
I think really the only way to do it is to just do small sample sizes, a couple ounces at a time. Um, that's, that's how I've been tasting through my beers lately. Mm. Um, now I'm pretty low volume, uh, as far as production goes, I might do 700 barrels a year. Yep. At any given point, I have one or two beers that are in active fermentation. So I don't have to taste through a lot. Yep. Um, but when I was, again, my, my last job, I was tasting through eight tanks every single day. Right. Uh, and that was on top of, oh, you know, the brew day is done. I'm going to CIP the brew house. And while I'm running the caustic, I'm going to have a beer. And then, you know, I'm filling up the hot liquor tank. So I'm going to have a beer while I wait. And then I'm going to sit down at the bar and have a couple of beers. It's just a slippery slope. Do you know, even in you saying that, I'm just thinking about brew days I've had where, you know, because the, the, once, you know, it's bloody hard work, isn't it? All that f- physical yeah. effort you, you put into it. <laughs> and then I always fall into the trap on a brew day where I'm like, um, I, you know, I've, I'm running it off and I'm pitching the yeast. And then for some reason in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I'm done now. But I know I'm not done because it's like I've got several hours ahead of me of, of cleaning and setting up and all the rest of it. So by the time you are actually running that CIP and you've and you've got everything set up for the next day and then yeah, you, you've got to fill tanks up, you know, like, you know, it was the same for me. It's like I'd, I'd be kind of like, right, beer, t- beer o'clock, <laughs> yep. you, you know. and But then you find... Um, that you know you, you're drinking beer every day and usually several pints every day yeah you know i i can't i can't tell you the last time that i haven't had two beers in a day mm. so how do you know when it's a quote-unquote problem because i think there's a real stigma around like drinking too much isn't there um i mean i, I don't mm-hmm. know what it's like in the states I've, I've i've never been to the usa but i know in the uk you know it's a, it's a real taboo and well, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll cut to a little story, actually. So it was, um, oh, it was, I don't know how many years ago it was now, um, maybe four years ago or something, five years ago. Um, it was it was New Year's Eve and I was at the in-laws and um, I bought a couple of beers from a local brewery and they, they don't drink much. And I'd, yeah. um, I'd, I, I finished my beers and I, I thought, oh, yeah, I could just really fancy another beer, New Year's Eve and all that. So I, I said <laughs> to the mother-in-law, <laughs> Um, I don't suppose I can get a beer from your fridge, could I? And she she looks at me and went, "Well, we want to think that you've got a problem." And I was like, "Oh my goodness! Like, am I, <laughs> this is like my 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 fourth beer or something, you know, on New Year's Eve." Um, but you know, it's it's that thing, isn't it? It's like um, all of a sudden I I felt like shameful, like, "Oh, you know, have, have I got a problem? Am I drinking too much?" You know, was you know, several years on into the 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 brewing industry and you know a lot of imperial stouts later i'm just kind of like it's child's play isn't it it's like kindergarten um right. but it's like you know w- w- how do you know if you've got a, a quote-unquote problem or you you just like having beers like where's the line because it seems pun intended a bit hazy <laughs> but uh <laughs> couldn't resist is, sorry you know <laughs> No, it's it's the primary product I'm putting out is hazies. <laughs> um, I think, you know, with kind of what happened for me, um, I stepped back one day and I was like, okay, I I get out of work or I finish up for the day and I have a couple beers. And I go home and I'll have a beer with dinner and 
maybe I'll go out and I'll, I'll go to the brewery down the street or I'll go to bar down the road and I'll grab a couple beers over there. And then I get home. And when I realized it was time to actually do a little bit more introspection is one night I got home and have any beers left in the fridge. I had nothing in the fridge. And I was like, man, I should have stopped at the liquor store because I need another beer. And as soon as like the word need went through my head, that was when I said, okay, mm. now I actually have to start looking at this in a serious manner. Um, and I have, I, I, I come from a big Portuguese family and drinking in a, in a Portuguese family is just kind of what you do. Yeah. But you cover it up. You know, we, we don't really talk about it. Um, no one's ever going to say to you, you're drinking too much. Uh, they're just going to let you know that they don't approve. Um, but it's, you know, alcoholism is a thing in my family. Mm. It's, it's a very common thing. Um, and it's, again, very easy for anyone uh, that comes from my family to, to kind of slip into it. So what, why do you think there is so much stigma surrounding drinking you know i think it's just a very cultural thing that we do in the states especially i think you know you have a glass of wine with dinner you have a beer with dinner or if you're if you're going to meet up with a friend you go to the bar uh you go to the pub you, they come over and you guys have a couple of beers while you're watching TV. I think it's just so ingrained mm. in the culture, um, especially on, on, you know, for, for younger generations, people, my generation, um, I think it's just so ingrained for us to be drinking. Uh, and that kind of makes it so that if you're not drinking, well, why aren't you drinking? That's weird. Hmm. And I, I think it was interesting what you said about the word need and, and having that introspective moment. Do you, do you think a lot of people avoid those introspective moments, like actively avoid it? Because it's actually, it's quite uncomfortable when you're, you're, you're faced with yourself in the stark mm -hmm. light of day. Um, so I, it, this January, I'm doing dry January. Now in, in, in the UK, there's a, um, a movement for want of a better word, called triannuary, which is, you know, it's, it's really hard for um, brewers and publicans and bottle shop owners to make a decent living. The independent ones, this is, uh, to make a decent living in January because a, a lot of people like me do dry January. So they're, they're trying to encourage people to tr try beers throughout January, you know, whilst raising awareness of like, you know, it's not about drinking to excess, but it's just like about supporting local business. As an in initiative, I love it. I think it's a great idea. But I personally want to have at least one month in my year working in the industry, taking a leaf out of a beer writer called Pete Brown out of his book um, where mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not drinking. Um, but actually, I have found in this dry spell so far, I'm, I've been a lot more introspective and in asking those questions of like, you know, am I drinking too much do i like this too much because it's not just a case of um you know dr drinking the beverage which is you know 
we all love beer. Everyone listening to this podcast loves beer. That's why they, they listen to it. Um, but it's the things right. like, you know, who you follow on Instagram, you know, and then you, you see the beers that are on Instagram. Like, oh, that looks nice. Oh, double waffle, imperial cake, kangaroo Farmhouse stout. fermented, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or whatever it is that floats your boat. Um, mm-hmm. What should you do with that introspection where, you know, you might not want to go there, but you kind of we all we all kind of have to at some point like how, how how should you handle that well without hiding from it so it's funny uh my degree is in psychology right actually okay. so this is um introspection for me is is i think it's important to grow as as a person um to to actualize yourself uh you need to be introspective um i think a lot of the people that are hesitant to be introspective about uh, their habits and whether their habits are excessive, um, you know, especially in the case of drinking, that habit is more than likely a way to cover up something else that they're feeling. Mm. Um, you know, I think on alcoholism is is a thing in the industry uh i don't think anyone would ever argue that um i think that there are a lot of cases where the mental health of many of the brewers that i know is actually also very poor um i think that they go hand in hand yep now there's nothing wrong with being in uh bad mental health we all go through it uh, but I think it's much easier for us as uh, production brewers or people in the industry, uh, beer sales, whatever you do, to actually just kind of not want to do that hard work and just say, well, if I have a couple of beers, I don't feel so bad and uh, I can go about my day. Mm. Um, do you think that's an underlying issue then, the mental health thing, in part with the beer industry in and of itself i mean i know obviously a lot of people struggle with mental health for for lots of reasons it's not all just work related but you know you you spend a lot of time at your workplace and it you know as a significant factor those those relationships you have with your colleagues um you know the the job and the nature of the work that you're doing um i mean what's your take on that do you think the beer industry itself is partly to blame alcohol aside I, you know, I would say that it's definitely a contributor. Um, I can tell you that uh, my last job, I was the head brewer of a fairly small brewery, especially for Boston. Uh, We weren't putting out, you know, nearly close to the volume of the big hitters around here. Mm. Um, But we were putting out high quality beer. We were focused much more on the quality as opposed to the quantity um but when i took over there were already you know a million issues that were starting to spiral out of control um i was working 12 13 hour days six days a week and then driving three to four hours every single day back and forth um i think if you're not careful uh, you can fall into that trap too. This industry is, like you said earlier, very physical. Um, you deal with a lot of uh, chronic pain, mm-hmm. like physical, 
you know, I have bad knees. I have a bad hip. My back is always hurting. Um, working those long days and not having any time to devote to your hobbies or your relationship or um, just having 10 minutes to not have to worry about anything throughout the day. I think that those things, depending on where you're at, I wouldn't say that the beer industry itself is a negative on mental health, but it does depend on the place where you're working. Um, and it depends on your mental health in general. Yeah. Um, if you're already a risk for, for depression or if you're at risk for anxiety or, uh, you know, anything like that, you're going to definitely have a tougher time. See, it's super interesting that because on the one hand, you've got, it's like two extremes, isn't it? On the one mm-hmm. hand, you've got the, the actual making of beer, which is like, it's re- it is really hard work. And I know I don't work in a brewery anymore, but when I, when I did, you know, I, I would just be dead to the world when I came in, when I came home. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have any, any energy to play with my kids or speak to my wife and stuff. And then you're producing something that people use to relax and have a good time. You know, so you can have a very not good time, you know, <laughs> on a bad, a particular bad brew day making beer. And so it's almost like the payoff for all the aggro you go through. You know, you get covered in yeast, you're wet. This crap that breaks and goes wrong all the time. Um, yeah, you're either boiling hot or freezing cold it, all day long. Absolutely, you know, you yeah. absolutely stink and stuff. And it's it's such a unique set of circumstances. It always used to make me laugh when uh, I'd go to parties and take some of the beers I'd made, and um, someone would say, "Oh, Nick made those beers," and they'd be like, "Oh, you a brewer? You know, you, they treat you like with this reverence. Oh, it must be amazing working a brewery." And you're like, actually, sometimes it's pretty shit to be honest. Um, yeah, but then it's blue collar production. You know? Yeah, totally. It's ba- basically it's like a beer factory, isn't it? <laughs> you're working in a, right. a, 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 a liquid factory. Um, but then, so then you got the other extreme, which is the payoff. It's like, well, the the thing I've made is really great. And so it almost seems like it's the reward, isn't it? And I guess I, I guess it's about breaking that ha- mental habit of I want to have the fruits of my labor because, and it really is the fruits of your labor, isn't it? Right. It's 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 you know three to four weeks for a beer to be ready. Why mm. wouldn't you want to drink that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I mean, given that beer is such a social tool and that many of the year's events in the industry's calendar seem to revolve, rightly so, around beer and festivals and stuff, like how, how can you be more mindful of your drinking when you go to these events? Because I know I've been to stuff where, again, mm-hmm. they've, they've got free beers and stuff and it's it's great and then you have a few and then, you know, the event ends and you're like, hey, let's you know, hang out with my newfound friends also from the industry. And then someone brings out, uh, have you tried this sour? You know, no, I haven't. That looks amazing. Then the bottle comes out and it's about 9%. And then someone's like, oh, you want to try that impy stout? And before you know it, you're like absolutely smashed and stuff. And right, uh, like how, how can you remain more mindful of your drinking in those circumstances? You know, that was one of the things that I struggled with. Um, it's 
it's tough and it's almost i mean I'm, I'm sure you know as well as i do in this industry it's it's almost like a faux pas for someone representing a brewery at a festival to go to another booth and say oh i wanted to come over and say hi but i don't want any more beer um it's almost like well why why are you at a festival if you don't want to drink like just have the little sample of beer and be fine mm. i think if you're going to go out and you're going to be tasting these beers throughout the night uh you have to set a hard limit for yourself um that's something that i struggle with a lot is setting a hard limit for myself like i'm going to have a beer and then like i said again you have one and then you say well okay two's not gonna hurt and then all of a sudden you're saying well i'm home and i'm on the couch so you know number eight or number nine is gonna be totally <laughs> nothing at all um you just i think you just have to set a hard limit for yourself yeah uh and, and you have to you know do do a body check on yourself say how am i feeling uh where are my thoughts at you know where's my body at is my body um am i feeling the effects of alcohol should i not have another one but again in that moment it's it's hard to have that introspection yeah and i think it's really hard as well because like you have one beer and you know you you feel that the nice warming effects of it and you're kind of like oh, yep. really fancy another one now and then it's just, yep. it's it is it's the total gateway, isn't it? And and then touching on the festival thing, you know, it's it's like um, I I remember I, was, I can't remember how old I was, twenty, twenty one or something, and I went on this trip to uh, to Rome and, and we did this some work with um, these gypsy travellers, and mm. uh, we we went to like this camp, like this settlement on the outskirts of of Rome, and. Um, the the guy who took us he he, um, he introduced us to the person there that he knew and he was cooking like a some kind of like warthog on a spit you know like literally like you know set up a couple of sticks from a tree and and built a fire and was turning this thing I mean <laughs> it part, sounds delicious I know well on the one hand I was like that is probably tasty as but on the other hand I was like but it looks so primitive that surely if i don't die of food poisoning i'm gonna have worms for like months um and and in italian this guy said um oh you know do you want to try it and every, everyone sort of took a step back but um, my friend marco who, who we were staying with he he took it and he said to us afterwards he was like um one of us in the group had to accept it because it would have been a massive cultural offense if nobody accepted it, it was like, you know, so he, he took the bullet for everyone. And I suppose it's a little bit like that when you go um, to to a, a beer festival and, you know, you go up to somebody else that's got a, a booth or a stand there and you don't know them. And it's kind of like, you know, it's like the Indian chieftain lifting the, the cup, you know, to take this drink and you kind of, you socially accept it, don't you? Um, yeah. But it's, and it's, it's funny how there's all these um, cultural differences um in in a lot of ways when it comes to drinking again pete brown i mentioned earlier he's written a book called three sheets to the wind where he documents um beer drinking around the world um yet on you know for all our differences wherever you go this there's still that kind of common thread isn't there where it's kind of like somebody offers you a drink for the most part particularly in an environment like that you, you kind of feel obliged um to 
you know, I guess it's like if someone's buying a round in and it's like, uh, what what do you want? You know, it feels a bit awkward to be kind of like, can I just have an, an orange juice, please? Yeah. <laughs> a glass of water, something. Yeah. It's like, I you... think another thing that plays into it is just the, the I mean, we've had beer for what, 8,000 years mm. now? Uh, it's been a part of human culture for as long as humans have had settlements and farms and uh, all of that sort of thing. Um, but it's only been in the last few hundred years where all of a sudden beer is now uh, high alcohol. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's a sort of, of cultural attitude toward it where it's, well, it's just beer. And then you're putting down 14% Imperial stouts or uh, you've put down a, a bomber of gra- uh, barley wine. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think the evolution of beer has far outpaced um, how humans view beer. That's interesting that, because I, I guess if you think b- both from my cultural background in the UK and yours in the States, you know, you, you, I guess you, you had stuff like, you know, Budweiser and um, Miller Lite and all that stuff, those kind of beers that you just, it were, they were low percentage kicking back beers you know, whereas over mm-hmm. over in the UK, it's you know it's a, a best bitter, you know, or mild or something historically. Where it was, you know, it was the working man's drink. You know, coming out of the the steelworks or from down the coal pits and stuff. You know, they drink several of them. It's like liquid bread, wasn't it? Before going back to back to work, but yeah, you know, now those those imperial stouts and double IPAs and stuff they they creep up on you. You know, I, I know I've I've had. Uh, 440 mil can of you know like 11 percent impy stout and being like oh, i'm fine i can have another beer now and then like you know halfway through the next beer i'm like oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> i'm not fine mm. um yep. but you know this they're, they're so unbelievably tasty those big beers that you know that there's a there's a certain pull towards them i mean i find i'm just i, I like those beers more than the regular beers because they just they're just more intense and in some ways it's that's a frightening thought in of itself, you know, with any kind of, you know, if you look at people's addictive behaviours or addictive behaviour in general, it's that kind of need for the more extreme. And I wonder whether this might be a, a, a huge taboo saying this and I might lose like all my listeners saying it, but I wonder whether <laughs> part of the drive of the industry for more extreme beers is actually because it's it's that kind of, you know, the highs aren't getting you high enough. And I mean that from a flavour um perception not just a kind of like we need beers to be 25 percent abv <laughs> right you know i saw a um i saw an instagram post a few weeks ago i forget what what brewery it was uh but they were doing a, a 40 hour boil on a russian imperial stout 40 hour boil <laughs> that's insane a 40 hour boil wow. and their their target og was 40 play-doh and I think they hit like 42. Right. Wow. I mean, at that point, like you have to use distiller's yeast because no normal beer yeast is going to be able to really ferment through all that. Mm. But I mean, imagine if they had an 80% attenuation, that beer would be like 25%. <laughs> well, I, I had a, um, a beer Brewdog did. Um, I can't remember what it was called. It was years ago now. I, I only had a, a tiny sample. It was like, supposedly at the time, it was like the strongest beer ever brewed. You know, I think it was, was when, it was when like, um, 
Samuel Adams Boston Brewing Company was trying to you know they'd done theirs and then someone else did one and then obviously Brewdog trying yep. to go bigger and better did this it was like 35% or something um, was that the one that they served in the the squirrel it whatever was, it was I think it might have been yeah I'll probably have James Watts on the phone after this being on like you know you, yeah you got the ABV wrong um, <laughs> you know it was more than that yeah crappy podcast um, <laughs> but yeah um <laughs> You know, and it was just, it was, it was foul. It was, it was awful. You know, it was like drinking engine oil and not, not the kind of good kind of railway porter kind of engine oil. It was like really bad. <laughs> but, but they did it. Yeah. I, I'm not, yeah. they, they wanted to do it. So they did it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, I think, uh, I, I do agree with your point that maybe the industry is pushing for these big beers and that's not a great thing. Hmm. I think one one of the things I've admired recently um, is there's a brewery in Manchester called Wonder Beyond. They they were on the podcast a few shows back, um, and they've started releasing 250 milliliter cans. So that's like a third, um, you know, of of these bigger beers. Um, and I actually think that's a good idea um, because you know you can sample it, you can try it, maybe you can buy three different ones, and and you know it just equates to having. Um, you know, a, a 330 mil in total, whatever that is in fluid ounces, um, s- kind of standard beer size. Um, but I, I saw one comment um, online from somebody like saying, oh, that's that's stupid, you know, give me give me the 440 mil cans. And, um, yeah. you know, and it's just like, well, I, I personally don't agree with that. It just, it does seem a little bit reckless and, irresponsible and yeah it's 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 nice to have more and stuff but i guess another little story off the back of that is that there's a a beer festival um that i brewery called northern monk run um and oh i know northern monk oh do you i'm familiar with them yeah okay yeah great absolutely cracking brewery um not Mm -hmm. not too far from from here and they uh they run a, a beer festival called dark city um and i went the year before last with my friend who i worked with for the last brewery and um my 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 wife had given me the uh, the remit of don't get drunk because a few months earlier I'd, I'd left the brewery I had my leaving due and um I I just I got trolled like utterly wasted you know and I've yeah. I've not been sick from drinking alcohol since I was like 18 and I was throwing up and and then her parents came the next day as well and I was in bed <laughs> and oh dear it was all I wasn't well at all you know, so she for, for the next like four months, it was like, don't get drunk, don't get drunk. I'm like, you know, the premise of this beer festival, right? And um, <laughs> I, I, I was the only person at the beer festival, you know, I had a, th- a like the glass was like a third size, you know, and I was the only person to be like, can I, can I, just, can I just have a, like a tiny little bit? I, I must have been like the only person that came away relatively sober <laughs> from this beer festival because they're all big stouts and, and yep. beers and stuff. But there were people literally sprawled out on the floor on the road outside the brewery and i was just like good night you know it's that's so and i don't i'm not I'm not saying in any way shape or form that northern monk are condoning that because I don't, I don't think they do you know by any stretch um but it's again, no i don't it's, think any brewery would. no i don't <laughs> think they would but it's, it's it's just the uh again it's just it's just the it's almost like the spiral isn't it when you get when you get on the slide it, it, you, that's kind of it once you're on that slide in a lot of ways um I mean, what steps and measures then can you put in place to keep on top of your drinking? 
so that i mean that's those examples are quite extreme that i've just given but we we've all had experiences like it sure um you know so i actually just started going into um a program which is it's similar to alcoholics anonymous but it's not total sobriety with the 12 steps and you know it's a secular uh program mm. so you don't have to you know give yourself over to a higher power yeah um and basically the entire point of the program is you know okay it's it's fine to have a couple of beers like no one's going to uh crucify you for having a couple of beers but if you really feel like you you need to step back and control, you know, here's other people that also think that way that don't want to go, um, completely sober. And it's, it's again, similar to AA where you sit in a big circle and talk about how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think reaching out and finding support, which, uh, humans are stubborn and we don't want to ever do that. <laughs> yeah. We don't ever want to ask anyone else for help. Um, you know, that's a good first step or asking someone that you know is responsible to help keep you accountable. I think mm. that's a great first step. Uh, just finding someone else to help kind of support you a little bit. Yeah. The AA thing's quite interesting. I've got a friend who, um, again, struggled with his drinking a bit. He wasn't by any stretch what we would deem as a uh, quote-unquote alcoholic although that's a whole other topic in and of itself you know that 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 phrase but um you know he just felt like you know i'm, I'm gonna go to an aa meeting just you know and he, he just yeah. ups and went and so you know he, he said um it was a really kind of enlightening experience in that you know that he said it made him realize there were some real proper like hardcore alcoholics there um, and in some ways he then felt like a, a fraud being there because it's like, well, I, I don't feel like that bad. I just kind of like sometimes maybe drink one beer too much or, you know, um, or whatever it is. And um, I, I almost wonder whether, you know, I'm not disrespecting AA at all because I think it's great and it's amazing that those circles exist and that space exists. Right. Um, but in some ways, again, it's that, like, like I just said a moment ago, like quote unquote alcoholic, like it's, it's just got this, a connotation with it, hasn't it? <laughs> of like, it does. if it... you know, you're obviously drinking out of a paper bag, you know, next to some dumpster <laughs> in an alleyway. <laughs> you know, it, it's, I can go a day without having a beer. In fact, I, I've done it plenty of times. Um, I've definitely reeled back quite a bit uh, in the last several months, but I, I couldn't see myself in an AA meeting. I wouldn't say that I'm an alcoholic. I say that I have, you know, definitely an issue with drinking, but I can wake up in the morning and I, I don't have the shakes from um, from not drinking a beer for eight or nine hours. Uh, you know, I don't... Um, I've, I've gone pretty good to the point where I can say, yeah, you know, I don't need that last beer before I go to bed. I'm just going to sit here for an hour or two and, you know, maybe have a soda or a water instead mm. and I'll feel better in the morning. Um, but no, I, def I think that the, the circles that exist for people who are really far down the rabbit hole, um, they're incredibly important. Yeah. 
So just just to tie up then to anyone that is listening to this that may have that tiny little voice deep down that's might might be making them feel a little bit uncomfortable and uneasy. Um, you know, it's, it's that voice that you kind of think I probably ought to listen to that. Like where? Because I think this comes down in some ways to each and every one of us to acknowledge to and be honest with ourselves. Um, but wh- where should you draw the line between? You know, I I just like kicking back a few beers, or I'm I'm just into different beer styles and stuff. And yeah, I've this this is starting to take over me, rather than me kind of having control of it. I think the line gets drawn when when again that little voice in your head says need. Mm. You know, at the end of a stressful day, you say, "Man, I need a beer." Like that's not a bad thing, but at the end of a stressful day, and you've already had five, six, seven beers, it says, I need another beer. Or, you know, that you know that you're intoxicated. You could tell you're intoxicated, but you choose to continue. And then you're doing that four or five nights a week. That's when you need to start drawing lines. Mm. When you start seeing your health suffer. You know, you're not sleeping, you're sleeping too much, or you're getting sick from from drinking out. A couple of times a week i think everyone has their own limit but it's better to catch it early before someone else has to catch it for you yeah for sure because then you damage your relationship well mike th- thanks for being on the podcast today and, and not just being on the show like massive thank you for being so open and honest absolutely um, with a whole bunch of listeners from you know from all, all parts of the world as to the show um so just yeah massive thank you um for people that might be out in um your neck of the woods uh, and want to visit john harvard's like how can they do that how can they try your beers and enjoy them responsibly uh i mean my doors are always open for everyone um we are at one worcester road in framingham massachusetts we're in an outdoor shopping mall uh we're right off the mass turnpike we're right off like pretty much every major road that runs uh into boston around here very easy to find uh we've been here just about 25 26 years now amazing bro well the next time not that it will be the next time because it'll be the first time well the first time i'm out in the states and i'm in in your neck of the woods i shall uh, i shall pop in please do brilliant well thank you all right thanks a lot nick thanks for tuning in to the hot forward podcast this week Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers.